0: What a beautiful rainy evening, I'm just gonna sit here, feeling like the boss, minding my business, watching over my empire. <music> Who the f- thought making a Godfather DJ Trap remix bass boosted was a good f- idea? You know what? I am done with the mafia life. I'm, I'm done. I quit. You know what I can do instead? Tell you the step-by-step process of how I got my millions. That private jet, that multi-million dollar palace, that pastel Maybach, and all while Netflix waited for me to get busted and rot in myself for 15 years, upon which I was interviewed to get a series made out of my life story. The good ending. As you guessed it, The entirety of how the Mafia makes money, from the ground up, along with the structure, workings and history, in one single episode. We are jumping into the big leagues here. Roll the intro. Cash me if you can. Your gateway into the world of financial freedom. Mafia mobsters, crime family. What comes to your mind when you hear the word? A violent group of good-looking men in black suits who carries guns, rides the finest cars, and shoots whoever comes in their way. Today, the word mafia is used to refer to almost any organized crime group, and in some cases, it, it is even used to describe groups completely unrelated to the crime. No, this is not good, fellas and in the real world, things do not work like that. Even for the bosses. The chains go much deeper. To understand the economics of the mafia, we have to first understand its working and its history. Where do we start? Ah, Italy. The current structure of the mafia, like as it is now, took centuries to develop. All of it began on the island of Sicily. See, there are major organized crime groups from other parts of Italy, but the Sicilian Mafia is generally considered to be the godfather of all other Mafia organizations. Many unique factors contributed to the development of organized crime in Sicily. The island is located at an easily accessible and strategically important place in the Mediterranean Sea. As a result, Sicily was invaded, conquered, And occupied by hostile forces multiple times. This kind of led to an overall distrust on the central authority. The family, rather than the state, became the focus of the Sicilian life, and disputes were settled through a system in which punishment often went beyond the limits of the law. And to understand the emergence of the Sicilian mafia, we have to understand the state of 19th century Europe there. In the 19th century, the European feudal system finally collapsed in Sicily. With uh, no real government or functioning authority of any kind, the island quickly descended into lawlessness. Certain landowners and other powerful men began to build reputations by influence and establishing authority, by solving problems or organizing people, or like generally, like eventually they came to be the people's leaders. They also helped business owners prevent all their looting and violence because the police system failed them, there was no one to go by the law, to abide, to make people abide by it. This was a win-win situation for them. The people who became these local leaders were known as Capos. The Capos used their power to extract tributes from farmers under their authority, much like the feudal lords before them. And... Their authority was enforced through the threat of violence. The criminal activities were never reported, even by the victims, because of the fear of, you know, getting shot in the head. This was the beginning of the Sicilian Mafia. Several elements of the Mafia life that have lasted for centuries, first developed during the transition from a feudal to a modern form of government in Sicily. There is this phrase in the Mafia world called Cosa Nostra, or our way, or this thing of ours, this was used to describe the lifestyle of a mafia man in Sicily. The shroud of secrecy surrounded the mafia activities in Sicily became known as Omerta, or the code of silence. Mafia bosses heavily relied on this code, and in which no one spoke about the mafia activities to anyone outside the family, to protect themselves and the family from the law. In fact, this very code of secrecy is what made the Mafia last so long in the United States. They just would not name anyone of the family, and it was really hard to convict them. The practice of recruiting young boys into the Mafia, cumulating with the final test, also stems from Italy, which we call being made, like your acceptance into the family. We'll get into that. So. By the early 1900s, organized crime had so thoroughly infiltrated Sicilian life, that it was virtually impossible to avoid contact with the Mafia. Then, the Italian dictator Benito Mussolini cracked down on the Mafia, using harsh and often brutal methods. But, here is the funny part. So, see, Sicily was invaded and eventually captured by the Allies, in the later years of the Second World War. And the U.S. troops who occupied Sicily, let's just say they mistook the many jail criminals for political prisoners. And not only did they set them free, but appointed many of them as mayors and chief of police. So before long, the mafia had a firm grasp on the then existing Italy's Christian Democrat Party. They literally went from the jail to having positions in the government. The sheer mismanagement. So anyways, like in the post-war years, the various competing Sicilian families, like you have to understand that there were a lot of these so-called mafia families and they realized that their constant fighting was costing them money. They called a ceasefire amongst themselves and formed a group. They called the Coppola. That would oversee the operations of all the families and approve all major enterprise and assassinations. Like a board of directors of sorts, a small organization, if I may, and thus began the first days of organized crime as the world would go on to see. This very system would be put in place by the American families in the 1950s, and that very fact brings me. To the United States. See, Sicilians and other Italians began immigrating to the United States in the 1800s, but a major wave of them arrived on the American shores in the early 20th century. Why? Because you have to understand that America back then, let's just say, did not have a robust immigration policy. In fact, there was little to no government intervention in those who were allowed inside the country. As long as they were from Europe. Yeah, they were racist on that. But yeah, people from Europe were allowed into the country very easily. So the United States was this land of opportunity because it was growing at a rapid pace, like rapid, with industrialization and so many new jobs. Like it was this perfect place to set up shop. While the vast majority of these Italians who came here worked hard at building a new life for their family through legal means, some of them brought the ways of the Sicilian Mafia with them. There was also then this growing anti-Italian sentiment, much of it from the resentment of the Mafia. And it was at its peak in the late 1800s. In New Orleans in 1891, a Sicilian crime family was pressured by the local chief of police, who was then murdered. After the mobsters were tried and acquitted, a lynch mob went to the jailhouse. The mob shot or hanged 11 men. Things were starting to look bad for the mafia, and the hope was dying out, like they were fearing away. Until, wait for it, Prohibition. For those of you who don't know what Prohibition was, it was a nationwide constitutional ban on the production, importation, transportation and sale of alcoholic beverages from 1920 to 1933 in the United States. And, this was also the single biggest opportunity for the Mafia to cash in. This era was a huge money maker for the Mafia, and what got them started in the country. They sold illegal alcohol and speakeasies around the country. The Mafia's power during this period grew exponentially and wars between the families often broke out. There was this epidemic of mafia violence in the early 30s, which was even more heightened by the Great Depression. Bosses and underbosses were assassinated regularly, with few bosses ruling their families for more than a few months before they were killed. Like, I was watching this video of Michael Francis with Bradley, and he said that prohibition sparkled the golden years of the mafia the government literally handed out the opportunity to these very people to take advantage of and to grow to an extent that later on, they would infiltrate this very government. Now that you have a basic understanding of the history, let's get to the money and structure. The mafia at its core is about one thing, money. No, it is not about glory, pride, respect or whatever the Godfather movies made you think. No, the Mafia has just one purpose, making money. Throughout its history, the Mafia has controlled everything, from street corner drug trade to the highest levels of government. Its members operate outside the law, yet become accepted and sometimes feared parts of the neighbourhood and cities they inhabit. How? Glorified by movies and television, hounded by law enforcement, and marked for death by their enemies. These mobsters live violent and often brief lives. See, the mafia is in its own right, a family. And to become a member of this family, it meant to accept secret rituals, complicated rules and tangled webs of loyalty. Many mobsters who have turned against the mafia have met an untimely, often gruesome death. And that part, yeah, that part the movies don't lie about. You can think of the Mafia like a corporation. And like any corporation, they have a very robust structure at play. Because obviously the Mafia in itself is a company and you need a very good structure to run a successful company. That is the very reason this is called organized crime and not like petty stealing or whatever. In organized crime, there is hierarchy with higher ranking members making decisions that trickle down to the other members of the family. The mafia is not a single group or gang. It is made up of the many families that have at times fought each other in bitter bloody gang wars and at other times they have cooperated in the interest of the greater prophets sometimes even serving on a commission that made major decisions affecting all the families. But most of the time They simply agree to stay out of each other's way. Let me tell you about the structure of the La Cosa Nostra. This is the very structure of the Sicilian Mafia as we talked about. So each mafia gang is known as a family. The number of families can range from fewer than 10 to more than 100. Sometimes the emergence of a new family must be approved by the heads of other families, while in some cases. A group can splinter off from another family and consolidate its power, becoming recognized as a new family over time. Each family has separate business dealings, but the dealings of the families can intermingle depending on the proximity to one another and, let's say, the commonality of the ventures. The leader of each family is known as the boss or the don. All major decisions are made by the boss. And the money made by the family ultimately flows to him. The boss's authority is used to resolve disputes and keep everyone in line in check. Just below the boss is the underboss. The underboss is the second in command. Although the amount of power he yields varies. Some underbosses resolve disputes without involving the boss. Some are groomed to replace the boss if he is old or in danger of going to jail. The underboss is the person who most people can reach up to and just cuts the connection for safety reasons between, you know, the commoners and the leaders. Beneath the underboss is the capos. The number of capos varies depending on the overall size of the family. A capo acts like a lieutenant, leading a section of the family. He has specific activities that he operates. The Capo's territories may be defined geographically or by the racket he operates. The key to being a successful capo is making money for the family. The capo keeps some of the money his rackets earn and passes the rest up to the underboss or the boss. Now, the dirty work is done by the soldiers. A soldier is the lowest rank among maidmen. The soldiers are part of the family but they hold little power and make relatively little money. The number of soldiers under any given capo can vary tremendously. So as you can see in the working level, there is a clear distinction between the people who bring in money and the people who facilitate the smooth process of this money being made. Let me give you an example. So this very common method used by a mafia family, extortion, taking monthly payments from local businesses. How did it start? Well, back in the day, let's say, uh, in the neighborhood, some people had big aspirations with their businesses and started making more money and thereby facing more competition. Uh, You know how that goes. If the competition is cheap, then there is no stopping one business owner from tying with another mafia family to shoot you in the head. There's literally no one that can stop you to get competition out of the way. So what do you do? Enter your local mafia. You just pay the guys who run your streets a price, monthly, and they take care of everything for you. Who does? These very soldiers and capos. So let's say your competitor bakery is outselling you every month or stealing your customers. What do you do? Give the good old boys a call, and they will do some smashing for you. Did someone threaten you after a street fight? Give the boys a call and they'll take care of it for you. So you see, this very thing started kind of as a business to business thing, which benefited both the parties. But eventually, as the control of the mafia grew over the cities, they kind of made it a compulsory thing. Persuading the businesses rather. If a new capo comes to your shop and asks you to pay $3,000 every month, you pay $3,000 every month. If you don't, you know, they'll tell you about how your shop is in danger and you've made a lot of enemies. You still don't agree? Well, nothing is stopping these soldiers from breaking the windows of your shop and looting everything the next day so that you fall in line. Oh, this reminds me. Remember from the Is What Is Good For The Economy episode? We talked about the broken window fallacy. This is it. This is the broken window fallacy. This is where the word originates from. So basically you get the picture here. Once what started as a mutual agreement between two parties, eventually emerged as a feedback loop of grave warnings and recurring cash flows. And that was just one of the ways how they made money. They're just getting started here. In addition to these soldiers, The Mafia uses associates, they are not actually members of the Mafia, but they work with the Mafia soldiers and capos on various criminal enterprises. An associate can include anyone, this is interesting, from a burglar, to a drug dealer, to a lawyer, investment banker, police official, or you guessed it, a politician. One other position within the family is somewhat legendary. The conciliary. The Consiliary is not supposed to be a part of the family's hierarchy. He is kind of an advisor, a mentor, and is supposed to make impartial decisions based on fairness and logic, rather than personal feelings or vendettas, which the family might have. This position was meant to be elected by the members of the family, not appointed by the boss. In reality, conciliaries are sometimes appointed and not always impartial. This position was made famous with Robert Duvall's portrayal of lawyer Tom Higgin, fictional conciliary to the Corleone family in the Godfather movies. Speaking of the Godfather movies, let's get to money again. So as I said, these mafias are like corporations, The thing you have to derive here is, for the mafia as a business to be in business, it has to be anti-business by your majority. Sounds confusing? Take the very example of the recurring cash flows from local businesses I talked about. Again, their main objective is to make money, and the only difference between the mafia and a corporation is that they do it illegally. And besides this collection of taxes. The mafia also has its hands in illegal businesses where the competition is small or does not exist at all. And you know, the profits are huge. Money laundering, prostitution, drug trafficking, weapon dealing, robbery and everything else you can think of that puts legality as a factor aside completely and focuses just on the money. You remember that scene from Godfather where uh, a, a person approached him for like a, a billion dollars of investment and he had to assess. So th- that is a part of what these mobsters did. Like at one point of time, they had so much cash. They had to launder their own money, which we'll get to. And they, they had this, so much of spare cash that they invested in other legal businesses even. Like they were kind of the investment bankers of the 60s. So as I briefed about earlier, during the time of prohibition in the US, the Mafia took over the entirety of the industry. In the late 70s and up till the mid 80s, the American Mafia made hundreds of millions by finding loopholes in the system and not paying taxes on gasoline, this is an interesting one. They priced themselves much lower, garnered a huge consumer base and The money-making capos brought back hundreds of millions to their families, and they got their fair share of it too. Talking about Michael Fancies again, if you don't know him, you should Google this guy up, because my God. In the mid-80s, he organized a gasoline scandal for his family and stole about $290 million in gasoline taxes. And before the IRS could ever get to him, he shut down operations. I recommend listening to this podcast episode he has with Bradley, It's episode 398 on its podcast. Go check it out. It's amazing. So anyways, the mafia eventually grew exponentially from the 1940s to the 1980s. These were the golden years of the mafia. They expanded into every other business possible. From restaurants to bars to constructions and so much more. At one point, as I talked about, get this. The members had so much money laundering money that they had to launder money for themselves. The whitewashing of money was another huge business for the mafia. All this monthly cash flow had to be cleaned up before the tax officials come for you. So they set up legal businesses to whitewash this black money and take it legally. They even had separate rings for smuggling jewels in and out of the country. They had these chains of suppliers who made sure money reached the upper end of the political spectrum just to keep the right people in check. And even when they got their favors done, they also made sure the money flowed back to the mob bosses from these very people of influence. This era was literally, quite literally, out of GTA Y City. What you have to understand here is, the mafia, in quotes as we are calling it, is not an actual tax paying, stock selling organization. There is no head of the mafia. Instead, the word mafia here, is like an umbrella term, that refers to any of the several groups of gangsters, who can trace their roots back to Italy or Sicily. You know, like after prohibition was repealed, the mafia went into gambling, unions, prostitution and other rackets and finally, In the 1950s, they decided to import heroin in the United States. Where did this money come from? Then again, as I said, after privation, these mafias, yeah, they were crazy rich. They made huge amounts of profit during this time. So they just went into any business they wanted. Literally, they made a fortune from the enterprise. However, others soon got into that business like the heroin one, especially the Colombians. We all know the story of the Cali and Medellin cartel. As black gangs began to get stronger by selling the drugs on the streets, they pushed Italians out of the neighbourhoods and began dealing with the Colombians, and then the Mexicans for heroin and cocaine directly. Then even later on the Cubans came in with the Cuban crime wave. So the competition was still steep, even for the mafia. However, by about the mid-1980s, the federal government was onto them in a big way. And by the mid-1900s, all the major crime families were reduced to status in gangs. The thing is, the government cracked down on the mafia big time in the late 80s and they just fell apart. Like, the entirety of their system, which they built, collapsed. Like... It is funny, I was just watching this documentary of an ex capo and he just went on about the reach they had, like they could reach anyone during their prime years, from the judges of a supreme court to even the president. Okay, this one is a little bit of a conspiracy theory, but here it goes. So there are like several rumours of ties between the Kennedys and the mafia, and it goes back to John F. Kennedy's father, Joe Kennedy, who reportedly earned much of the family's fortune as a bootlegger. Though his biographer said this is not true. And he had connections to mobsters like Mayor Lansky. When John F. Kennedy faced Hubert Humphrey in the Democratic primary in 1960, many claimed that Kennedy called on their mob connections to ensure a favourable vote. And similar accusations were made uh, during the presidential election against Richard Nixon, which Kennedy won by a slim margin. The Kennedy-Mafia connection is built on a lot of rumours. But, the Vegas-Mafia connection is more factual. So, from a start, the American Mafia operated luxurious, illegal casinos throughout the United States, bribing local police officers to look the other way. You know, as it happens. When Nevada legalised gambling in 1931, mobsters were not the first to seize the opportunity. The famous trip was already developing, a few fancy hotels, casinos were already in place by the time the mafia arrived. Casinos generate huge profits, so it didn't take much creativity on the part of the wise guys to figure out a way to get their cut. They skimmed cash from casinos they partly owned or simply extorted payoffs from business managers. Many more bosses were business partners with the casino owners, whether the owners wanted them as partners or not. You know the drill. Since the 1970s, the government has been very strict about keeping the mob out of the Vegas casinos. And today, it is believed that all the major casinos are not influenced by the mafia by any means. And any hint of an organized crime connection is enough for a casino to lose its gambling license. Once the stronghold of the mob has been reduced to rubbles, But do not let that fool you, the mafia still exists, especially in New York, activities linked to the mafia can be found to this very day. But it is a fact that they are nowhere as powerful as they used to be. Like even if you consider the Yazuka family for example, the Yazuka was and is one of the most popular mafias in the world originating in Japan with over 180,000 members in the 1960s. But compared to recent years, estimates say that their numbers have dropped to about a few thousand. It's not eradicated, but it's mostly a thing of the past. And, and the very same phenomenon followed suit for all the mafia families across the globe. Man, that was a lot. That was... About it for this episode. So now you can jump into conversations and and fake being a capo. Stockpiling bills under your blanket and people will believe you. Who knows. Okay take care. Have a great day and. Oh so before you go. Uh, there is a link at the end of the episode description. Which will lead you directly to my Instagram. Do drop a follow there. I post weekly content that is relevant to the podcast. And I'm sure you'll love it. So see you in the next episode then. Bye.